All right, so we are in chapter four of this book that I have been pushing, hoping that you will get one day, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands by Paul David Tripp. And it's just helping us to guide our conversation around this concept of biblical counseling. Chapter four, according to your outline, is called The Heart is the Target. The Heart is the Target. And he opens this, uh, the chapter with, I think, a very helpful illustration where his family, when he was a kid, they're going to the Grand Canyon. And for the dad, he's very, very focused on making sure everyone's having a good time. If you're not having a good time, he's going to be very disappointed because he's like, if you're going to be bored, you may as well have been bored at home for free instead of paying for this huge trip. So that was his focus. For Paul and his little brother, they were very much focused on having fun. So they were kind of playing dangerously close to the side of the canyon, to, and, and they're just bold, and uh, they have no issues with the risk. And in the meantime, the mother is very concerned about this, and she's saying, hey, the boys, the boys. And so the dad is running back and forth trying to make sure uh, that the boys are safe. So the point that he makes is that they're all seeing the same thing, the Grand Canyon, this vacation, and they're experiencing it completely differently. They have completely different experiences about this Grand Canyon trip. And the, re- the, the idea is that it's because it's what's going on in their hearts, right? So for the dad, it was, his heart was all about having a perfect trip. Uh, for the boys, their hearts, teenage boys, fearlessness, right? They just want to have fun. And the mother, concern for her children. So it's the same experience, and they're all experiencing it very differently. Our behavior reveals what's going on in our heart just as their behaviors revealed what was going on in their hearts. And conversely, our hearts dictate our behaviors. So whatever you're doing or not doing, it's coming from in here. It's not random. It's not external. It's all coming in here, coming from here. Which brings us to this first bullet point in your outline. Why why is it that people do the things that they do? We don't just do things, we do things for reasons that are coming from our own hearts. So let's think through that, let's brainstorm through that real quick. Um, think about like sexual sin, for example, something that is often highlighted in the scriptures, something that leaders in the scriptures fall into. What can be going on in the human heart that would lead to sexual sin? What's going on in the human heart that would lead to that? Covetousness is a good one, right? So think about David and Bash. He's got access to whatever woman he wants, which isn't right, but it's true. He was the king. And he sees someone, not his wife, he's like, ooh, I want her. So there's covetousness there. Good. What else could be going on in the heart that would lead to sexual sin? Yeah. Lust. Lust. Yeah. Just a, uh, an in, inappropriate desire from what is a God-given gift but is applied incorrectly to someone that is not your spouse, right? Good. What about um, somebody who is not open? Okay, so you talk to them, and you're, you're really trying to help them with their walk, and how's your walk going? Oh, good. How can I pray for you? Nothing. Everything's good. Like, what could be going on in the heart of somebody who is not open? Pride. That's a good one. Yeah. What else? Yeah, Michael. Fear of judgment. Fear of judgment. Yeah. We could say fear of man. They care too much what other people think about them. What about um, kleptomania, which is like uh, an obsession with stealing things, right? They, you don't even need it. They, you just want to steal something, so you do. What could be going on in the heart of somebody 
who has kleptomania. Also covetousness, good. What else? Greed, could be, could be. Mm-hmm. Selfishness. A lack of self-control, good. Um, you think about like Winona Ryder, right? She struggled with this in the past. Hopefully she's for, uh, not doing that anymore. But she was arrested for stealing. In terms of her covetousness, she could have just bought it, right? Even if she were greedy, she could have bought it. So for her, it was something else. It could have been idolizing just the thrill, of stealing and not getting caught. So for her, that was something that she wanted to, to feed. That could be one. Uh, what about unforgiveness? Somebody who is unwilling to forgive somebody, what could be going on in their heart? Yeah, what about someone who's unwilling to forgive? What's going on in their heart, potentially? They have unforgiveness? Sure, sure. What else? They haven't realized the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers. Yeah, so maybe a dullness towards the grace that Christ offers, or maybe not even having understood it to begin with, right? But even true Christians who have been forgiven can struggle with it, and it's just, just failing to recognize it, right? Probably pride as well, a self-righteousness in the heart, thinking that they're worse than I am when the reality is we're all sinners in need of forgiveness. So good job on this little brainstorm. And you're seeing that uh, you're, you're, you're dealing with behaviors, but deeper than behaviors is what's going on in somebody's heart. The book makes this claim that the heart is the real you, and it defines heart as the inner person. So what you're seeing right now is Ed, the outer person, and then everything in me, my soul, my mind, my faculties, my thoughts, my feelings, that's my heart. That's my inner person. And it says that the heart is the real you. Explain that. Explain why, why my heart is really the real me. Yeah, it's where my emotions, my thoughts, my decisions all come from there. My words come from there as well. Even when I, even when I die, if the Lord tarries and I die before he returns, my body's going to be here, but my tr true self, my inner self, is going to be with the Lord. So my body's here, but who I actually am is going to be with God, right? So yeah, that really helps us to recognize that there is a very important aspect that whenever we're helping somebody, whether it's discipleship or biblical counseling or just being a good brother or sister in Christ, you need to help people deal with their hearts. You have to target their hearts. Why do you think it's important that you target their hearts and not just their behaviors? Yeah, people get defensive. Sure, sure. Good. Repeat the question again, please. Say it again. Yeah, they're feeling, they can feel like they're being attacked. Okay. Uh, my question was, why is it important that we target people's hearts and not just their behaviors? when we're discipling them, even training up kids, whatever the case might be. God sees the heart. Right. So you can't hide anything. Yeah, God sees the heart. God, that's what we're getting at is what God can see, right? Um, we'll talk more a little bit about this, but let's go to the next section, fruit, roots, and the heart. Fruit, roots, and the heart. And let's turn to, in your Bibles, Luke 6. 43 through 45, Luke chapter 6, 
verses 43 through 45. Jesus says this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So, help us think through that. How is it that people function like trees? Explain this. How are we like trees? Keenan. Good. So Keenan said that um, that trees can't produce fruit of what they are not. Right. So if you can't expect an apple tree to to just suddenly have an orange on its branch. Uh, an apple tree can only produce apples. And similarly, you can only produce good if you are what? Hmm? I heard somebody say it, I think. You can only produce good if you are, if you're good, if you're good. Which, of course, before the Holy Spirit's ministry in a person, that, that's a problem because nobody is good. And th- this is kind of where the Savior is getting at. But in getting at it, he starts with this analogy that if... If you're bearing bad fruit, it's because you're a bad tree. If you're bearing good fruit, it's because you are a good tree, right? That's how we function as trees. But the idea that we're getting at here is that whatever we're producing is coming from the roots. It's coming from the heart. So in this analogy, what is the fruit? What is the fruit in this analogy that Jesus is making? Yeah, deeds, yeah. Uh, And then in particular, he talks about words. Um, For the out of the abundance of the heart, verse 45 says, the mouth speaks. So in this analogy, the fruit is your behaviors and your words. That's the the fruit. The root is your hearts. And a lot of times, you know, we want to blame others for what we say, right? When you act out in wrath or anger, what is it sometimes that you might blame either to yourself or to somebody else, when you, bur- when you have an outburst of wrath. <laughs> the devil made me do it, right? Well, who, who else? Who else is at fault? The other person. Yeah, they just, uh, they just really got, un- I know I sinned, but they just really got under my skin, you know? Like I, the Bible doesn't allow you to do that. You can't blame other people for what you say because ultimately it's coming from what's in here. There's an analogy that uh, I heard ages ago, so I can't, I can't credit the person. Um, but there was this guy, the pastor was there, and the youth leader was there too, and the youth leader fell off of the stage or the risers and cussed. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to say that. And the pastor said to him, if it's not in you, it's not coming out of you, right? So, yeah, we don't mean to do things. We, don't, we sometimes would prefer that we didn't say something, But in the end, we're responsible for what we say. 
because it's coming from our hearts. And it's important for us to be able to grasp that. How are roots connected to fruits? Say again. Tawana says that the root is the foundation. Good. What would you add to that? It feeds the fruit. Yeah, it's when the roots are nourished, that is when the, the, the fruit is actually born again and born out. And um, as Keenan mentioned earlier, just again, it depends on what the roots are. That depends on what the fruit is produced. So we have to go after the roots when it comes to helping other people with what's going on. People and circumstances are just the occasions in which our hearts reveal themselves. Let me say that again. The pe- people and circumstances are just the occasions in which our hearts reveal themselves. What do you think I mean by that? That what people and your circumstances, those are just occasions for when your heart reveals itself. Say again. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's circumstances that are happening outside of you that will reveal, for example, your anger. Uh, I'll give you a personal example right now. Right? I'm big on God's sovereignty, right? We're part of a reformed church, right? Uh, everything we acknowledge has been decreed by God in the past and is being providentially worked out by him, every detail of history. I believe that, and it's challenged when my daughter's in the hospital. Suddenly it's like, do you really believe that? What does that faith actually look like? Do you still get angry when things aren't going your way? Do you get anxious and nervous, right? These are, the, these are the occasions, the circumstances that actually reveal what's in my heart. And the same is true about anything else. When you, when you get wrathful towards somebody, the, peop, the person and what they said and did to you is just an occasion for what revealed what was in your heart. Yeah. I was going to say that you have to be careful that you don't become apathetic towards them. True. True. Right, that's how we're in the we are yeah, uh, Christian said, yeah, Christian said, don't, don't take God's sovereignty and then become apathetic about everything. That's really just fatalism, which is not biblical. God uses us to, uh, to accomplish his purposes. So if somebody were stealing out in the, in the um, foyer, one of the ways God exercises his sovereignty is through you walking up and saying, hey, you got to pay for that. Um, or calling them out and, and disciplining them as needed, right? So that's a good point there, Christian. Circumstances, people, are just occasions in which our hearts reveal themselves. Therefore, any lasting change needs to travel through the pathway of the heart. Why is that? Why is it that any lasting change needs to travel through the pathway of the heart? Let's say that again. Yeah, the heart is truly who you are. Yeah, it's when your heart changes that you change and your behaviors change. Now, can people change their behaviors without a change of heart? Sure, sure, right? I mean, you could be um, just on camera and so you don't steal. So you walk into a store, you're ready to steal and you're like, oh, 
Okay, so in that case, it changed the behavior out of the fear of the punishment of it, right? But if there's going to be lasting change in someone, so we're applying this to biblical counseling, you want to help somebody with lasting change, you have to go for their heart. You can probably, if you're counseling someone, you can get them to read the Bible every day and um, set aside time for prayer every day. You can get them to answer the questions that you submit. You can even get them to change their behaviors for a little while. But what will probably happen is as soon as you're done counseling them, they're just going to go back to their old ways if you don't get at what's going on in here, right? Jesus demonstrates this for us in his ministry. What is it that Christ actually changed in order to radically transform us? Change our hearts. That was the promise of this new covenant because as, as Brian had well explained this last weekend, under the old covenant, they had the law. They had God watching them, but they didn't have a change of heart. And so their hearts grew hardened and they sinned, they broke God's law. So what was the promise of the new covenant is that God would remove the hearts of stone of his people and replace them with hearts of flesh. So that yes, even though while we still struggle with sin, we have a different relationship with sin now. When we sin, it grieves us. We want to stop sinning. We hate it. We want to actually change for him. So Christ does this for us by the Spirit. He changes our hearts to transform us. There are other reasons, though. I mentioned one, like being on camera. What are some other reasons that you can think of that people will change their behaviors? Let's say again. Ulterior motives like what? Like benefit? Yeah. So being nice to your boss or your coworkers because you want to get promoted. What were you saying, Christian? Ah, okay. So uh, you're interested in, uh, not you, a, a single man is interested in a single woman and said, well, if I just changed my attitude and my behaviors, maybe she will like me, right? What are some other motivators that people have to change that isn't necessarily God? Money. Who said that? Jen. Yeah. So people will do it because they, they want to earn money. They don't want to not have money, so they'll act rightly. Um, could be fear of punishment. Um, I'm convinced that if running somebody off the road were not illegal, it would happen a lot more. And you would, people would feel justified. Well, they cut me off, right? And that's, that's the end of that, right? Or there's this, and I haven't seen it, right, because I'm a Christian, but the purge. <laughs> there's a, I just know the, <laughs> I'm just kidding if you've seen it, I'm not judging you. I just, but I, I know the concept of the movie series, The Purge, is that for one day in a year, there are no laws. And I think it's a pretty realistic uh, depiction of probably what would happen, is people will just act out their basest sinful desires. Uh, again, I'm not promoting that movie. I'm just saying that, that there is a concept that I see that is accurate with our human hearts, okay? So what, if somebody changes because, um, let's say that they, they just, they're really desperate to save their marriage, so they change their behaviors, what might happen after they reconcile if they haven't actually had a heart change? Right back to what they were doing. Yeah, they'll just go right back to it. Uh, good, I'm back together again with this person, and now there's a recommitment, and so let me just slow it. Maybe they don't intend to do that, 
but that will often happen is because their motivation wasn't right. Their heart wasn't changed. They was changed their outward behaviors. The book of Judges proves that. What's that? The book of Judges proves that. Yeah, how, how does it? Well, Israel is following Jesus or following the Lord, and then there's bright, shiny things and pretty women, and so they walk away from the Lord, so that's when the Lord sends a judge. Mm -hmm. The judge gets them back on track. Oh, wait, there's some pretty women and some bright, shiny things. And another judge comes in, mm -hmm. and again and again and again. Yeah. Over and over. Christian said the book of Judges demonstrates this because Israel would change for a little bit. They would, they would, in their destruction, cry back out to God. And then when things would start to go well again, then they would recidivate and go back to their sinful ways. First it was with Judges, and then even with Judges, like you see this refrain in the book of Judges that people were just doing what was right in their own eyes. And that's when they established a king. And you would think, well, there's our answer, having a king. But no, it just continues that way. Right? Let's take a look at what the Savior says about this in Matthew 23, 25 through 26. Matthew 23, 25 through 26. Jesus says this Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. So what issue did Jesus take here with the Pharisees' righteousness? Yeah, yeah. The, uh, Christian said that the Pharisees thought that they could just do righteous things, they could look righteous, but then the heart hasn't been changed. They were famous for these, the strict adherence of the law, but they were neglecting love, neglecting people. Uh, they would give generously, but they would kind of have a parade to kind of show them, it's time for me to give and it's a lot, right? Like, that's, that was their attitude. Um, what else would they do? They would uh, just be so strict on the Sabbath to the point where they were saying, someone just got healed. <laughs> Don't heal. It's the Sabbath. <laughs> that, is, that is wild. But it's all the externalism that Jesus takes the Pharisees, uh, takes issue with the Pharisees. And uh, that, that translates to us as well. God is not so concerned about behavior change if that behavior change isn't coming from a heart change. Now, don't get me wrong. If the choice is, um, obey with a not right heart or disobey with a not right heart, it's better to obey. It's better to not break the law. But ultimately, that is not pleasing to God. What's ultimately pleasing is when someone obeys him out of love for him. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. Now, it's interesting in this analogy, Jesus says in verse 26, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Um, Physically, that doesn't necessarily follow. Like if I were washing a dirty bowl and only wash the inside of it, the outside would still be dirty. But this is talking about a greater spiritual reality, you. If you clean the inside of yourself, your outside will be clean as well. Now, uh, it's also notable to say that they couldn't just do that. So don't try to do this on your own strength, by the way. Like you're like, I just need to change my heart. Why is it that you can't do this on your own? 
you can't change your inside on your own. Why is that? Only God can change the heart. Would you say, Christian? Because of our sin nature, yeah. So on our own, without the Spirit's help, we'll just, we won't clean anything. But by, the, by God's help, by the Spirit, we actually do have this desire to have a heart change and then a behavior change. Yeah, Itakora. The Spirit is willing, but Yeah, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So having been regenerated, we have this desire to change, but we still struggle with this flesh that makes it very, very difficult, impossible on its own, to actually make any heart change. But what the Savior wants us to do is clean the inside, and then the outside is just going to follow. Take a look at this next section, personal ministry and fruit stapling. He gives this analogy in the book of, uh, you know, his wife is looking out at their their garden or whatever, and she's like, huh, the apple tree is not producing apples uh, this year. And so he goes to the store, right, and he gets a bushel of apples. Is that what they're called, a bushel? And, he, and his wife looks out the window, and he's out there taking these apples, and he's stapling them to the branches, right? It's a very good analogy. Why is that so silly that he would be out there stapling apples to the tree? Hmm? Yeah, it's not coming from the tree. It's, not, it's pointless. Yeah, Michael. Yeah, that's right. It's a good point. Stapling apples to the tree doesn't make it an apple tree. And, and that's sometimes something that we can try to do. Whether it's ourselves, we just try to change our outward behaviors without addressing things with God. Or we're trying to help somebody, whether it's raising your kids or discipling somebody, discipling a couple, right? And I, I, I'll be honest, in, 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 in the past with counseling, I've tried to do this, and it's not, it doesn't last. If you're only addressing the behaviors... You're not really getting to the root of the issue. And that any change is going to be temporary anyway. Just like stapled apples. Eventually those are going to fall away, rot, and they're not going to be making the tree an apple tree at all. So another example of this would be like um, a kid who leaves home. Someone grows up in our church, good kid, uh, takes notes during the sermon, focuses, doesn't, isn't disruptive, isn't just completely... Um, immoral at home. Then they leave, go off to college. They're no, they're no longer under the protection of their parents, and they suddenly reveal that that wasn't really their faith, right? It was actually something they were just doing for their parents. And so this is the same idea, is that if you're raising a child and you're not getting at their heart, you're only addressing their behaviors, then when they're removed and they can do whatever they want now, then they may just do exactly what their sinful hearts wanted to do. We have to get at the heart when it comes to personal ministry. So, I guess I just kind of answered it, but now you can tell me what you think about this. Why do we need a heart change ourselves, actually? I didn't, I didn't address this. We should have our own heart change before we can help others with our own issues of the heart. Why is that true, that we ourselves need a heart change before we can really effectively help others? Say again? You'll be a hypocrite. Pharisees just produce more Pharisees. So if you yourself are not doing things from a heart of a love for God and people, you're not going to help somebody else to do that. So we also, while going through this biblical counseling series, it's addressing our own hearts, not just the hearts of those who are trying to help. Now, answer this. What's the danger in discipleship or counseling 
that is only focused on behaviors. Just stapling apples, right? Maybe you're even producing a false sense of security. Um, yeah, Albert. Say again? Legalism. So you're not producing a, somebody who loves God and, and, and loves people. It's just you're creating a legalist, right? Now, by the way, we, we can't make somebody love God, but we can help someone realize they need Jesus Christ by preaching the gospel to them. Ricky? A temporary fix, right. Um, so that they're not kicked out of the house or um, going to jail while they're in your house, right? It's a temporary fix. Christian? I was going to say, being moral doesn't mean that you're Christian. You can't moralize somebody into a Yeah. He said, being moral doesn't make you a Christian. You can't moralize yourself into the kingdom. And so it's very dangerous for us to only be focused on behaviors. We have to get to the heart using the word of God. Let's take a look at... Uh, Ezekiel 14, verses 1 through 5, as we consider this next section, the heart of the matter. Ezekiel 14, verses 1 through 5. It goes Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. So there are these elders that, that come to God, and here's what God says in Ezekiel 14, 1 through 5. And certain el- of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel. God says this, Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, anyone of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with a multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who were all estranged from me through their idols. So what's the issue that God is pointing out here? What's that? Yeah. Yeah. So we have our own idols that we're putting before God. Are they in this text? Are they, are they like bringing their physical idols? Yeah. It's, talking, it's their hearts. Their idols are in their hearts. So these elders are doing the right thing by going to God outwardly. But God's saying, I know what's in their hearts. They're bringing their idols in their hearts, right? So... An idol of the heart, we, we've addressed this before, but what, what is an idol of the heart? It's a sin that you love. Good. What would you add to that? A desire? Yeah. So the first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. And we might get comfortable saying, well, he's the only God that I serve. But the reality is anything that competes with him, that would take our affections away from him, that would cause us to sin against him, or that would cause us to sin if we don't get, those are considered idols of the heart. And John Calvin rightly assessed that our hearts are idol factories. That's the issue. What are some things that can rule our hearts besides God? Money. Yeah, that's a big one. Same. 
power, fame? Family? Yeah, family. Yeah. We see a lot of people uh, fall away from at least the outward expression of going and being part of the church because they have an obsession with getting married. So what they'll do is they'll go after somebody who they know they shouldn't, right? Because they've made an idol of having a family. I saw a hand up. Go over here. Uh-huh. Yes, Paul. Our comfort zones. So we... Mm-hmm. Our comforts, my, my time, my comforts, my comfort levels would prevent us from obeying the Lord. Yeah, there's a lot of things that can rule our hearts besides God. And in fact, that's the main root issue about all the other sins that, that we've done against God. Look at Romans 1, 21 through 25. Romans 1, 21 through 25. Paul says this, talking about unbelievers. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. So just reflecting on these verses, how is it that sin is fundamentally idolatrous? Why is sin fundamentally idolatry? Yeah. Right, you're not... You're not focusing on the Lord. You're focusing on whatever it is you're doing. Ricky and then Michael. You make yourself God. How, how do you do that? Right. So when you sin against God who has only done you right, you're, you're basically saying, I'm putting myself above him. Right. Michael. Yeah, uh, it steals glory from God in that it, um, you're, you're worshiping and delighting something other than him. We wouldn't necessarily say I'm worshiping money, but Jesus would definitely use those categories. You cannot serve both God and money, right, as an example. And the other things that you listed, the same is true for that as well. Sin is fundamentally idolatry because if we were worshiping God alone, then we wouldn't sin. We wouldn't we wouldn't go after anything besides him. They're all distractions. They're all distractions. Yeah, distracting you from God. And it's something that we, by the way, we, choose, we chose to do. Before we were saved, this was us. And yes, it still resonates with us in the flesh. But before we were saved, this is exactly what we were doing. We, we looked at creation. We saw, oh, yeah, God made this. But I don't like the idea of God that's in the Bible, so I'm going to custom make, we, we love customization in America, right? BK, have it your way. You, you rule, right? And we import this Burger King, you rule idea into our idea of who God is. You hear people say things like, well, my God would not blank. 
I mean, okay, I believe you, but that's the wrong God, right? That's the wrong God. A God of your own making. So we, our tendency is to find a God or create a God that supports the way that we want to live, which is why it doesn't really surprise me that in Greek, there were temple prostitutes to worship Athena. It's like, well, how do you worship him? By seeing a prostitute. That's a man-made religion if I ever heard of one, right? So this is our, what our nature is, is to try to, is, is to worship a different God that already suits our own passions. And sin, uh, Michael had mentioned this earlier, the book says, is stealing worship. Everything belongs to God and all of our affections should be his, and yet we give it to other things and other people. It's also spiritual adultery. We are cheating on God whenever we sin against him. So worship is really the heart of the matter. We all worship something. We all worship someone. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you worship him. And yet you still have this flesh that continues to want to worship other things. How is what we worship related to our behaviors? Yeah, Christian. Okay. Uh, for myself, is that my career was my God. Mm-hmm. And it kept on letting me down. And so I perceived it that way. Mm-hmm. The reality is, is that that was the wrong way to look at things. I should have God first and said, God is going to handle this. And there's no reason for me to worry about this. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be apathetic, okay, because I'm still concerned, but. I don't want to supersede the worship I owe him first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My career. So with your career, your career path, you say you're worshiping your career path in that situation yeah. until the Lord kind of brings you back and says you can't do that. Right. Marty. Can I ask a question? Yeah. How is, it, how, how is what we worship related to our behaviors? Well, what you believe, what you worship is what you value. So what you value is what you're creating for your time and energy. Yeah, what you worship is what you value, and what you value is where you're going to put your time, is where you're going to put your energy. And so when we're, when we're sinning, essentially what we're doing is we're choosing to worship something else. Oftentimes it's just ourselves. We just want to do what we do, what we want to do in our flesh, rather than what God has commanded us to do. So that's the heart of the matter. Let's look at God's response. We'll turn back to Ezekiel 14.3 to point something out. We just looked at Ezekiel 14. But in particular, in verse 3, God says this. These men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? This is a very good picture uh, because it's not physical idols. It's not like a statue of Baal that's in between the person and God. It's, It's the idol of the heart. And, and what happens when you have something in front of your face? You can't see past it. You definitely can't see God clearly if you're trying to look at him with your idols as stumbling blocks right before your face. So that's what happens. Even as a believer, when you have an idol that you are unwilling to let go of, that prevents you from having a, a clarity of seeing God as he is. Uh, It prevents you from having a right fellowship with him because these idols are in the way. And actually, changing behaviors, the book points out, changing just your behaviors can actually equip you to just better serve your idols. Isn't that 
interesting to just, let's think through that real quick. That changing your behaviors alone can actually just equip you to better serve your idols. So what was the idol of um, a Pharisees, for example? What's an example of an idol that they had? Power, right? How is it that changing their outward behavior actually helped them serve their power idol even better? Yeah. Right. So they're giving and they're, they're parading how much they gave. Actually just gave them more power. Gave them more respect and esteem among the people. Right? Yeah. Right. So instead of worrying about uh, their relationship with God, they're worried about what their relationship with other people or holding on to power. Their status, yeah, their status. Yeah. Well, what about, um, let's, say, let's think about this. You have a couple, a married couple whose issue is anger. They're always angry at each other, and so their counselor, well-meaning, tells them, just change these behaviors. How could that actually just make their anger worse, even if they change their behaviors? Yeah. They're angry in here. So they're using good communication skills. Well, I understand that you feel that way. Here's how I feel. But they're really just maybe gaining even more bitterness because they're not dealing with the actual heart of the issue. So that's why, again, and this is another danger of why we need to not just address behaviors, we need to get to the heart. Because if you only address behaviors, you may actually feed their idols even more with just their behaviors. He also goes into the section of covert and overt idolatry. So he, he tells a, a story of when he was in India and he saw this guy like he had a literal idol and he was cleaning it, polishing it, making sure it looked good. He was giving food to it. And then his friend was bowing down to it. And he's like, man, that is, that's really sad. It is sad. It's sad to think about that. But really, how are we like those literal idolaters? How are we like that? You know, we're sophisticated. Talk more on that, Pastorola. We may not have wooden idols, but nevertheless, we have idols. Yeah. We're very good at hiding it. Right on. So we have idols. We're very good at hiding it from other people. What would be a good uh, parallel to, like, cleaning the idol and making sure that it's polished? A car? Okay, good. So material possessions literally, like, keeping up your material possessions, making sure that your sneakers have no smudges or whatever, and you'll get angry if somebody steps on it, right? People have gotten shot because someone stepped on, yeah. you stepped on their sleeper, sneaker, right? That's idolatry, yeah. Well, I want people to think I'm a good person, so when I do something wrong, I'm gonna deny it, I'm going to uh, try to shift the blame, the, the reason I did that is this, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great parallel. So fear of man and your, your idol of your own reputation and how you, people think of you, so you'll, you'll clean yourself and, 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 and cover the blemishes and even lie about what's going on uh, because you don't want your reputation tarnished. Yeah, good call. Um, let me go to Michael and then Steve.
if I try to take this thing from you, where do you get angry? Where do you want to, you know, tear my head off? Where do you want to fight me? All of those things, that's where you can always tell. Yeah, so if, um, uh, when Gideon destroyed people's idols, they wanted to kill Gideon. And so the illustration that from that is that when people get angry at you when you take something away, that reveals that it's their idol. If they're willing to, to hurt you because you're taking it away. Steve. Mm-hmm. But if we're like, idolizing God, like we should be, we should be, we'll be submitting our lives to God. So yeah. Submit to what we idolize. Yeah. So we, we submit, kind of like that guy who was bowing down to this statue. We may not like open up our bank account and literally bow down to it, but if that's all we're pouring ourselves into, then we've made an idol of it. Career is a big one. Career is kind of like your status in America. I don't know if you recognize this, but not every country is one of the first things you say to someone, hey, what do you do? Like, this is just, this is, this is standard American concept, Western concept, what do you do for a living? And so, yeah, we don't wanna say, I'm nothing. Or it can be embarrassing to say, I'm kind of in between jobs right now. Like, so we want status, we want a good job. We want people to think that we're successful. Grandparents are always like, why aren't you a doctor yet, right? So they, they're feeding into this idol as well. And so we can actually turn careers into idols. Is it sin for Christians to have good careers that, that uh, support their families and the church family? Of course not. But if that's what you're all about, as revealed in the fact that you don't do anything but work, you miss church for work, you don't disciple others or not be discipled because of work, and I'm not talking about if you need to, it's because you want to, then it's revealing that you have an idol. And if somebody tells you, hey, do you really need to be working Sunday afternoon? And you know you don't, but it makes you angry that they ask, going back to Michael's point, that's an idol. Because now you're angry that someone's even challenging you about it, right? Again, I'm willing to say, sometimes people need to do that. But if you don't, it's revealing something that's in your heart. Okay, pressing on. Even public prayer, uh, this is like, right here, in the heart. He points out in the book, that even public prayer can be impacted by idolatry. You ever like worry about what people think about how you pray? I still, I'll be honest, I confess this to you, I still struggle with this a bit. I try not to, but I wonder what people think about my prayer. What's the idol there? Myself, my reputation, what people think about me. Now, it's okay to say, well, I want my prayer to be doctrinally accurate because I don't want to cause people to stumble. That's great. But if it's like the flowery types of prayers like the Pharisees would do, just for their own, just to impress people, that's something that we can, even something as glorious and beautiful as public prayer can be impacted by idolatry. Now, by the way, the answer is, well, then I'm just not going to pray publicly. That's not the answer because then you're just changing your behavior and not fixing the heart. It should be to ask God to help you to not be so concerned about what everybody else is thinking about what you're praying. Let's look at Isaiah 29, 13. Isaiah 29, just the first part of 13. The Lord says this, Because the people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. So again, when you're, when you're talking about prayer in particular, 
You're saying the right things. You are doctrinally precise, and it's beautiful. Your prayer is just beautiful, but your heart is not in it, and you're far from God. That prayer doesn't mean anything to him. It's very similar to, like, the sacrifices that people would offer to God in the Old Covenant when they had no intention to repent, right? That's why God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, not sacrifices. Yeah, Christian. Sure. 29, which one was it again? 13. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Should I keep going? Uh, okay, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. So talk more, what, what stood out to you there, Christian? Well, it is that it, as long as we continue to make idols that are not God first, uh, then we're going to be confused by a lot of things, and we're going to not, to, like it was with me, is that, well, uh, why does my career keep on failing here? What, what is the problem here? And so I keep on putting, I keep looking horizontally as opposed to vertically. Yeah, just constantly just looking horizontally instead of vertically. Yeah. And by the way, we need to recognize, too, that um, even the changing of our heart is not a work that we must do in order to be saved. Okay? All of this is pointing out to us, and, and everything that the Savior says to the Pharisees about how they're hypocrites is not to encourage you to also just try to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The, the one work that we are supposed to do is to believe in the one whom God had sent. Believe in Jesus Christ. And, and when you believe in Jesus Christ, then you will walk by the Spirit, and you will start to put to death these other things, and you will, you will walk in the way that, of godliness that the Spirit is working out in you. So don't, don't walk away from this saying, well, now I just got to try harder. We just need to lean on the Lord even more. And we need to address what's going on in our hearts because God is not satisfied with externalism. So whatever you hear from the sermons, right? So a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about um, giving, right? We said, well, okay, I guess I'll give more, you know, I guess. Like, God is not impressed with you giving more if your heart is not in it. He wants you to give, obey, kill sin out of an overflowing of a love for him, not for any other reason. So we, got to, we have to fight legalism as we're talking about this. Let's talk about applying this principle. Applying this principle. So all the things we've talked about so far, how can we apply that into our own lives? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Good. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Good. Tie that to the heart, Brother Christian. Yeah. And not letting my career be my or my wife or my family or church Good. or whatever. Can't put any of that before God. Yeah. So shuffling priorities, like making a decision for yourself, I'm not gonna eat until I eat of the word before I do that, right? Now, Krishna, let me let me dig a little more in that. How might somebody do that but not really change their heart? Well, you don't want to read God's word if your heart isn't changed in the first place. Okay, okay. 
So it should come from a heart desire to know more from God. And the change of behavior should come from more than food, I need God, right? Yeah, Michael. Right, so uh, if, if God is your great delight, you're going to want to read the Word. And so, but it needs to be fixed at the heart issue. So let me give you something, more, uh, something else that's practical, right? We have brothers and sisters who uh, continue to struggle against sexual sin. Like, why do we talk about this so much? Because it's a pervasive issue in the Christian life. And a lot of times what we might be tempted to do ourselves is to just fix the behavior so keep track of the days that I don't sin and then get puffed up by that. Haven't done that in three years, right? Uh, or install things in our computer that can help. That's not a bad idea. I'm just saying that if you're only doing that, then you're not fixing the root issue. So instead, what are some things that the heart should be affected by that would make them want to not do that anymore? Yeah, but what in so uh, Daniel said meditation is scripture. But what particularly in scripture should motivate somebody to kill sin like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there are several motivations encapsulated what Daniel just said, talking about how we were bought with a price. So just by itself, this is guilt. Uh, well, he paid for me, so I shouldn't do that. But when you dig deeper into that, it's like, what did Christ do for you? He gave up himself for you, and, and he is redeeming you. You don't belong to yourself because of that. Therefore, you should make war with that sin. Yeah, Marty. Amen. 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 Yeah, good call. I have like 30 seconds, so I'm just going to wrap this up real quick, and then I'll catch you after this. But essentially, when you're helping yourself make war on sin, you can't just focus on the sin. You need to focus on Jesus. You need to focus on what he's done for you, the beauty of who he is, the reality that you're being transformed into his beautiful likeness, the guarantee that he's going to bring you all the way home, the the forward hope that he's going to resurrect you in a body that won't even desire that anymore. These are things that if we go to our own heart, that will help us make war on sin and give lasting change in that area. And then just tying it into biblical counseling, you have to do that with others. 
You can't just monitor their behaviors. You can't just say, yeah, sin bad. Sin is bad. But you also have to show them the beauty of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me thank the Lord. Uh, Thank you so much for this reminder. And we pray that you'd help us to apply it in our own hearts and to help others as well. Help us not only to confess our behavioral sins to you, but to try to dig deep into what it is that's causing us to choose our idols instead of you. We pray that by your spirit, you would continue to transform our hearts. Help us to be renewed by our minds uh, and be transformed thus. God, you can do it. You give us the desire and the ability to do so. And so we ask that you would. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, thank you all.